Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Yes, we have such a good Lord who laid his life down for us. And we want to honor him and keep him exalted, Jesus, in all that we do. Uh, I really hope and trust that you had uh, a really great weekend, extra time, and time to just be grateful, grateful to the Lord. Uh, I see someone grateful there in that scarlet and gray. Wow. Uh, there's a couple of them in the, there's a couple of them that have Ohio roots, uh, and they're grateful. Uh, we, uh, we are grateful. We had a wonderful, wonderful prayer meeting yesterday, uh, I do want to remind you that at the uh, last Saturday of the month, we gather together for prayer in the chapel at 9 a.m. Yesterday was just outstanding. I really feel that the, the Lord visited us, and it was such a good, good time of prayer. And I uh, do want to remind you, too, this December, we will not be having that end-of-the-month prayer meeting because uh, we have family week at the end of, of the month, and we really shut down most all of our services and such for the last week. But we'll be back in January, and until then, if uh, throughout the month of December you're praying, take some time to pray for your church. We want God's direction, and we want God's uh, wisdom here in all that we do. So please be, just be mindful and remember, we need the Lord, and we want him here. Uh, and that's why we're grateful to him. He has done so much for us. We're grateful. Uh, we had a very gr nice Thanksgiving, my family and I. For the first time in a number of years, we went downtown to the parade. And I don't know what was up with the weather, but it was cold. I think when we woke up, it was 16 degrees. But it warmed up. I think it got to about 20 by the time we got down uh, to the city, and it was a gorgeous day, but freezing. And I'll tell you what, the next day, and then Saturday, and even today, felt kind of balmy in comparison to uh, bundling up on Woodward Avenue. Uh, it, was, it was fun, and it was nice, but a swing of 20 or even 25 degrees, it can really feel good. And it's actually got me feeling great. I'm I've got beach fever. <laughs> so what I did is this morning, I brought, my, uh, I brought my beach chair because I got beach fever. The weather has changed. And I brought it along, and I'm going to put it out here for us this morning because... Uh, it's, it's a great thing. Have you ever seen these? Have you ever seen these? Uh, this, this is hooked on my button. Have you ever seen these uh, inflatable chairs? I love them. I, I, you see they pack in a little bag, throw over your shoulder. So Julie and I, we went to the beach once with these. It's, it really, it's like the minimalist approach. We had two bags over our shoulders, not much else. I had one little portable, this little foldable umbrella she bought me. So we have a beautiful time. I want to, uh, 
I want to inflate this. I don't need a pump. I don't need to sit here for hours. I could run across the platform and fix it up and blow it up, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I brought some help. On the beach, there's typically a breeze. So I brought my breeze this morning, and I'm going to inflate this because it's, it's really quite simple, and I love these things. They're so, they're so wonderful. You, you just need a, you need a little breeze to... Uh, to inflate it, fill it up. And uh, if you're running on the beach, and you know most beaches, there's always a little breeze going, and that's about it. And you, you close it, and shut this fan off, and it's, it's, it's all about the wrap then. You just, you just wrap it up, and it tightens up. Really, it's, it's a great thing. So today, I've, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling like, you know, I should be at the beach. So you just... I'm gonna click this thing in. And, and this is not a commercial for these. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting paid to do this. I just, I just felt so good about the weather. And look at that, it's, 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 a, great little, it's a great little chair or uh, a, a lounge. You can, you can just push here, got yourself a pillow. And it's, it's just wonderful, yeah, I can. <sighs> I might just preach right from here. What do you think? Ah, oh, someone wake me up later. They're just, they're, they're, they're so nice. And it's a great way to just relax on the beach and enjoy the day. So, uh, I'm not going to preach from here though. Uh, but uh, I'm going to uh, speak about you know, maybe being on the, the beach with one of these. Uh, oh, Jack. Jack, hold on a second. Oh, oh. Jack, hold on. I'm stepping on my bag here. Can you, can you? Jack. Here, Jack, could you take this too, please? Thank you. Thank you. Get rid of my wind. Get rid of my breeze. See... I, was, uh, I took this to the beach many times now. They're, they're wonderful. We have two of them. They're meant for the beach. But I'm married to someone who loves the water. So Julie loves the water. And one day we're sitting on the shores of Lake Michigan. It's a beautiful day. We're kind of in this little remote beach. And she said to me, boy, I'd really like to be in the water. I wonder if, one of the, I wonder if this thing will float. So... I said, why not? Why not, right? So I pulled her in, and she loved it. She loved it. But like I said, this is, we had the minimalist approach. We really arrived at this beach with just these two inflatables, my, my little foldable umbrella. That was it. And uh, in the back of my chair, I did have a few things to read. So I pulled her out in the lake, and I started to read and read, and I'm, and then I, I look up, and she's kind of, she's no longer in front of me, right? <laughs> so I got to trudge out there in the water, right? Pull her back, pull her back, pull her back. And I went back to my reading. Now, this happened a few times, and uh, she was floating away while I was 
chasing after her. And finally it dawned on me, she needs, she needs something to keep her so I can enjoy whatever my, my, my articles in the magazine. And I had one Kroger bag stuffed in the back of my chair that had this little backpack on the back of the chair. And I pulled out the Kroger bag and I filled it with sand. And I said, well, that'll work, but how can I, I can't have her hold that, yeah, she'll go down. And I found a root of all things in the beach. And it was about 10 feet long. It was just a thin root. I tied it to that bag and I went out and I said, here, just hold this. <laughs> Problem solved. I got to read. So that was really nice. I got to read. This idea of floating away, the drift, drifting, is what I want to... Uh, Focus on this morning. And I'm going to take you to the book of Hebrews. And that's a shift from the past seven weeks. We've been talking about uh, the Old Testament, the major prophets, the past seven weeks. And we've completed reading through the major prophets in our reading plan. And if you're just visiting with us this morning, you can look at the back of your bulletin. We have a reading plan that's been taking us through the year. And uh, we're still in some of the Old Testament. We have uh, readings from the Old Testament, the New Testament, Psalms each week. And we're in the book of Hebrews this week. And we've started uh, chapter 1 and 2. And this is a contrast to the messages of the prophets. Their messages were often uh, severe and direct. Repent, turn to God, or judgment comes. And yet in their messages, there was always hope. There was always hope, promises for restoration. But more importantly, the hope of eternal restoration was in the messages of the prophets. The prophets uh, spoke of Christ. Their hope was aimed at Jesus, even if they really didn't realize that's what they were doing. And now the letter to Hebrews, it refers back. It refers back often to the prophets of the Old Testament. I want to give you a little background before we jump into it, a little background on this letter. It's somewhat unusual among the New Testament letters. There is no uh, attribution to a writer. Uh, no name given. Many like to say Paul wrote this letter. Others uh, suggest Barnabas Martin Luther suggested Apollos, who was the great Alexandrian scholar who knew the Old Testament back and forth. Some give authorship of Hebrews to Priscilla. Priscilla, who along with her husband Aquila, taught Apollos about Jesus. He was a scholar with all this Old Testament knowledge, but he needed to learn more and they were his teachers. Who wrote this book for certain? The Lord knows. The Lord knows. And we're not gonna get in arguments or discussions over it all, uh, but suffice it to say that it's not mentioned. Then where does this title come from to the Hebrews? That's not listed in the, in the writing of the letter either, but throughout the letter, there's indications that the original recipients were Jewish Christians who had endured persecution. They perhaps were turning from their Christian faith to go back to the Old Testament ways. 
And they were giving up on, the, on Jesus and the new covenant. So there's a major emphasis in this letter contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant. The letter quotes the Old Testament directly 29 times. So it's someone who knew the Old Testament well, directed at people who knew the Old Testament well, thus the, the Hebrews. And over 50 times, there are allusions to the Old Testament. Again, someone who knew it well to people who knew it well. The letter, as I said, it opens uh, without an attribution to who wrote it. it. There's no salutation. There's no dear Hebrews. It really jumps right into a contrast, the difference between the Old and the New Testaments. So let's read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And it begins this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has, in, has inherited is superior to theirs. So right there, at the open of this letter, there's a point to the, to, to the Old Testament, an allusion to the Old Testament. How was that? God in the past spoke to us through the prophets. There's the pointer back. God used to talk to us. He spoke to us through these prophets of old. But how does it work now? How does it work now under the new covenant? The contrast is immediately drawn. He is now spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. The writer makes a declaration there too. He says, in these last days, the son has spoken. Now remember, this is a letter. People received it in the first century. We're not opening it for the first time this morning. What could this reference to the last days mean to those people in that time who received that letter in the first century? What does it mean? It's present tense in these last days. It's not future tense. It's not the last days are somewhere to come. Now, as you read through the, uh, the book of Hebrews it, next week, as we continue together, be conscious of the emphasis on the old covenant going away. It is these last days of the old covenant. It is breathing its last. It is coming to the end. And the author is saying, don't go back to that. In chapter 8, the writer put these words down. The old covenant is obsolete and outdated and will soon disappear. It is in its last days. Now, after this mention of the last days, in two sentences, we're presented with the gospel. So this writer is profound in this open. 
the gospel of Christ. Number one, Jesus is God. He is the creator of the universe. His glory is God's glory. Everything is sustained by him. He has provided purification from sins, number two. And that was accomplished by his sacrificial death. Yet he's alive. He's risen from the dead. How do we know that? Because it was written, he sits at the right hand of majesty on high. He sits at the right hand of God. In two sentences, there's the gospel. Jesus, the creator, came to earth, died, he's alive. He's our creator, savior. Then, another contrast. Jesus is superior to the angels. That was verse four. In the letter, we'll continue this theme of the supremacy of Jesus. He's superior to the angels. He's greater than Moses. The supremacy of Jesus is greater than the Sabbath rest. His rest is a complete rest. He offers eternal rest. He's greater than the priests. We don't need a high priest anymore. Why? We have Jesus, the high priest, who makes intercession for us. So throughout, the writer tells us, Jesus is greater, Jesus is greater, Jesus is greater, Jesus is better than this. And he goes on with a, a, a sub-theme, if you will. There's a sub-theme throughout the letter, and it's, it's simply this. Stick with Jesus. Jesus is better than the old covenant on all points. The old is in its last. It's breathing its last. It's coming to an end. So stick with Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. And that theme of holding on to Jesus, it's a sub-theme, as I said, that runs throughout the letter. It begins at the start of chapter 2. At the start of chapter 2, the first verse contains a word, and it's the word therefore. So we always like to say, why is therefore there? What's it there for? And to understand that, we just need to back up a little, find a little context, and we'll do that. I'll just give you a little lead-in to that start of chapter 2. Chapter 1 opened. Verse 4 is Jesus is greater than the angels. And then the writer continues with that contrast. Did God ever uh, say to one of his angels, you are my son? No. No, because he said the angels are to worship the son. Do the angels have a throne? No, the angels don't have a throne, but my son has a throne. Then the writer continues with this contrast at the close of chapter 1. I'll read a couple of those verses, and then the first verse of chapter 2. So this is Hebrews 1.13 and 14, and then Hebrews 2.1. Again, on this theme of angels. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? That was only said about Jesus. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. And now here is this first mention of straying from the faith, moving away from the faith, drifting, straying from Jesus. The writers just lay down several examples of why Jesus is greater than the angelic creation. So, what's he say? Stick with him. Stick with him. Stick with what you've heard. And what have you heard about Jesus? Well, like I said, the letter profoundly opened 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have heard. This is just the first few verses of the letter. You have heard already that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. You have heard that he is the creator of the universe. You've heard that Jesus sustains all things. You've heard that he has provided a way to be cleansed from your sin. How did he do that? He went to the cross and he gave up his life for us. So therefore, stay the course. Pay attention to what you've heard so that you do not drift away. The Greek word here for drift is there's a lot of R's in it, and I have a tough time rolling the R's. Para, it's parara-o, parara-o, parara-o. And it means simply to flow past, to glide by. It means to drift away. It's a nautical, seafaring reference. And this was a time where people were familiar with transportation by boats. It was common. It was the way many got around they would be familiar with this reference. The writer here, he wasn't presenting, he or she was not presenting an image of a storm where gales are blowing and uh, the seas are uh, full of billowing, angry waves about to capsize a vessel. No, no, no. Flow past, gliding by, drifting away. Picture a little boat by a dock. Uh, maybe a canoe, a kayak, perhaps your wave runner. There it is. It's next to the dock, but no line's been attached to it. It's not windy. It's not stormy. Maybe a slight gentle breeze. You put your nose in a book. You're engrossed in that till the end. And you look up, where's your boat? You see a tiny little speck on the horizon. See, the writer of Hebrews who wrote this line about drifting and no doubt knew about human nature, which in this case I'll bluntly call sin. The image presented by the words do not drift away is not that of a sudden, unexpected, impulsive act. Now, sure, we do that sometimes. Sure, there are impulsive sins, sometimes crimes of passion. A situation arises and we react immediately, abruptly, and wrongly. That's not what drifting away intends. The do not drift away that was written here is about a subtle, gradual, nearly imperceptible movement. Like that boat on the water on a calm day. And how does that relate to life? Generally, a person will not walk into a grocery store and fill a cart and walk out without paying. That's not generally how that type of behavior begins. It typically begins small. Maybe walked out of the grocery store and found something in the bottom of the cart. Oh, I didn't pay for this. Wow. Well, that was easy. And next time, next time, maybe it's a couple of other things at the bottom of the cart. Let's see if I could squeeze those by. Then maybe some things under the jacket. Until the day the cart is full and I'll just walk by all these cashiers and they won't, they'll think I paid at aisle 10 and see if I can get away with it. Getting better grades typically doesn't start with hacking into computers. 
You know, it usually starts with just a glance. And what was, the, what, what was the name of the ship the pilgrims used to get to Plymouth? Oh, this test. I need to pass this history test. I know this one. I know this one. It was the Nina. No, it was the Santa Mar No, it was the Titanic. No, no, that's... And then... Oh, yeah. Uh, I knew that. It was the Mayflower. Oh, I knew that. Of course I knew that. I knew it was the Mayflower, and I'll put that down. That was easy. And then what happens? Well, crib sheets and more glances. It progresses to pictures on the phone, you know, sharing stuff on Snapchat, stealing tests, hacking computers. It doesn't just happen. It's a drift. Leaving a marriage typically doesn't happen in a day. No, there's a, a co-worker, a servant at the restaurant, a person who's been reconnected on social media. They say hello, they pay attention. Boy, does that feel good. Feels nice. So reasons are contrived, right? To cross paths more often, to say hello. Hello's become a conversation that become, oh, a lunch out and lunch becomes dinner. And then there's a failing marriage. And maybe it's not a person that's the draw. Maybe it's, maybe it's the job. Hey, I, I need to pay some bills. I'm going to take a bunch of overtime. And then that feels good. The bank account's getting flush. And the boss is noticing all that extra effort. And then there's the promotion coming. And all that to what cost? The neglect of family and spouse. And again, a failing marriage. Until that day of crisis, the event that brings the shocking revelation of just how far someone has drifted away, arrested for shoplifting, expelled for cheating, served with divorce papers. How did this happen? How did this happen? How did I get here? What causes this? What causes this drifting? I've got a few things. It's not an exhaustive list, but a few. Distractions. A loss of focus. It's in my earlier example. Distracted by the desire to get something for nothing, the desire for better grades, the desire for something without the work, or filling the perceived need for companionship, the attention, the excitement, chasing a career, the next promotion, the bigger bonus. Life is full of distractions which can pull our focus from the path set out by God and his word. Distractions that pull us from following the ways of Jesus Christ. Sure, we can pay him lip service while we're drifting away. We can come to church while we're drifting away. And while we're drifting to find the fulfillment and the excitement in the pathway of sin. And that could also be then deception. We might be distracted and deceived. Deception can set us adrift. Last week I said, opposition to God is rooted in a lie. Jesus said, the devil does not hold to the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. The writer of Hebrews here was encouraging people who wanted to turn away from their faith. 
People who were turning to something that was fading out. The old covenant. Animal sacrifice. It's not necessary. Priests to make absolution. It's not necessary. The sacrifice of Jesus has negated all of that. It's not needed. Yet these Hebrews were reaching back. They were deceived by the notion that they could earn their salvation. Well, could it be that the enemy might want to deceive us? Of course. There's no loss in this culture which tells you that if you're a Christian, you're a fool. You are judgmental. You're intolerant. You're hypocrites. Why not a religion of diversity where all things are acceptable? Come on over to unity. Come on over to the new age. It's much more loving than your intolerant, bigoted Christian faith. Humanism, science, when we get down to it, there is no God. You cling to your foolish, old-fashioned myths. So the pressure to renounce faith, the pressure to turn from Jesus can be real outside these walls. You know, in, in, in neighborhoods, at work, sometimes it could be overwhelming family telling you, what are you doing? You're in a cult. You're foolish. But it's a lie. It is a lie. It's a deception. It's a deception by the devil who would rather see as many souls in hell. And then there's difficulty. Now, difficulty could be a special case of distraction. You know, difficult times can certainly distract us from our point in life. Trials of life, problems, issues. They can rob our focus. They can take away our aim. Sickness, our own sickness. Maybe sickness of a, of a loved one. Someone we dearly love can be consuming. Financial strains, wayward children, relationships and family that are broken, business issues, problems with employees, customers who refuse to pay. These troubles can be relentless and all-consuming. They can take over, so consuming that they close out Jesus, that they close out our faith, perhaps even to cause us to rail at him. Where are you? Turn our back on him. And slowly, we're gliding away. So what can be done? What counters drifting? What counters drifting what did the writer of Hebrews put down? Straightforward advice. Pay careful attention. The word for us in Hebrews verse 1, chapter 2, is we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. The writer did not say you, but we. That included the author. This was, a, this was not just a pronoun pointed out. We, we, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard to counter this drifting. You have heard Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He has created the universe. You've heard he sustains all things. You've heard he's provided a way for you to be cleansed from your sin and me to be cleansed from our sin for all of us. Can the creator, savior, 
Can he provide for you? Can living for him bring contentment? Can living for him bring security and peace? Yes. Be attentive to what you've heard, though. Don't stray from it. Don't drift from it. And not just here on a Sunday morning. Pay attention to what you've heard while you're in his word. And what does that mean? It means you have to be in his word. The word we have heard from the Old Testament is aiming, it is pointing directly. Its focus is on Jesus. The word we've heard in the New Testament, the new covenant, the word is Jesus, savior from sin, death, and hell. Are you paying attention? Are you fixed? Are you focused on Jesus? Or have you drifted? Have you drifted? Where's my raft? What's happened? My, my raft has drifted away. Gradually, slowly, subtly, but far from where it started. How can we keep this from happening? We need something on our rafts. We need an anchor. We need something to hold it. My, my trouble, when my wife was floating away, she didn't have something to secure her and hold her. We need an anchor. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. We need to be anchored to Jesus so we don't float away. We don't drift away. We don't move from him and his way. Are you anchored to the cross? Is Jesus holding you and sustaining you? The writer of this book of Hebrews gives reason after reason about why the one and only way, the one and only God is Jesus Christ. And he reiterates this, hold on, stick with Jesus. Don't let go. Are you anchored to the cross of Jesus Christ? This letter says, hold on, stick with Jesus, hold on. Let me just give you a few of the areas where it punctuates this and the sub-theme of holding on comes through. Hebrews 3, 6, Christ is faithful. Hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Chapter 3, verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold on. Hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Are you holding on? Are you anchored to the cross? Hebrews 4.14, we, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And on it goes. Hebrews 6, verse 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Jesus, a high priest forever, is he anchoring your life and your soul. Hebrews chapter 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly. That's, that's hanging on until your knuckles are white. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. That's Jesus. You got a problem, you have an issue that's causing you to turn from him, drift from him. Oh, he's faithful. And it's repeated over and over again. Hold on, hang on, stick with Jesus. Hold on to your anchor, hold on to your faith. Hold on to Christ. Do you have an anchor in your life? There might be someone in here this morning where this idea of a life with Jesus is something that you've never, ever really bought into fully. But I want to tell you, he died for you. He made a way for you to be reconciled with your creator. Now, you might think that's all mumbo-jumbo, but it's true. We are natural and spiritual creatures. We have a spirit inside of us. We have something that's going to live on after these shells fall back to dirt. There is an eternal life. And it's one that is going to be hope or hopeless. And the hope is in Christ. The only way to be reconciled with our creator is Jesus. He is the one way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the resurrection in the life. He is alive. He died for us. When you read through that, old te- that, that book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, it points to the Old Testament. It says that animal sacrifice, the reason sacrifices were made were for sin. Jesus paid it all once. Maybe you want to turn your life and your heart over to him this morning. Or maybe you just need to hold on a little tighter. Maybe there's something tugging at you a little. Perhaps you've perceived a little drift. They've drifted away from the Lord, the, the things of the Lord. Well, you can neglect studying his word. You can neglect maybe giving to his church. You can let the troubles of life begin to pull you away from your walk with him. Today you can say, Lord, I'm not going to let that happen. I've realized it. I don't want to drift away from you. I want to hold on to the cross of Christ who paid his life for me. Let's stand. And as we we close our service with with a song, I want to invite you to these altars to pray. You can... You can receive grace. We don't do this because it's just a show. No, we believe that that God meets us. And as we talk to him, he'll, he'll respond. We have people here, we have workers who will come and they'll pray with you. They'll help you if you don't, if if you don't even know what to pray, 
You can talk to them and say, well, yeah, 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 the boss has really been pulling on me and, and I'm feeling it. Or, yeah, there's this, this issue in life that's drawn me away. Let's pray. Let's pray. And you can pray together and in unity that God would strengthen you. And if you've never come to Christ, make it today. Make it today.